You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Mary Jo Chabonnier, Chief HR Officer at Kindrel, an IBM spin-off that is one of the largest startups in corporate history. In her role, Mary Jo is responsible for the design and implementation of all human resource strategies, policies, and processes. Kindrel is actually celebrating their anniversary this November 4th, and we're so honored to dive into their culture and wish them the best of luck in the upcoming years. Kindrel is a talent-centric company, and Mary Jo is proud to be at the helm of their global to become the employer of choice in the more than 60 countries where they operate, supporting people to advance their skills and careers as they deliver for their customers. With more than 90,000 experts globally, Kindrels are restless to power the future and operate as a startup, flat, fast, and focused. Prior to joining Kindrel, Mary Jo was also an HR executive in a variety of leadership roles at Walters Kluwer, Broadridge Financial Solutions, and PepsiCo. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Mary Jo discuss Kindrel's culture change and transformation process and journey after separating from IBM, how the for the first time in history, Kindrel gathered all their 800 top leaders together to talk about culture and empathetic leadership, how Kindrel created leadership behaviors and reworked the language, messaging, surveys, rewards, celebrations, and symbols around those, how to drive empowerment and inclusivity, and Kindrel's three Fs concept, flat, fast, focused. This episode was sponsored by Empyrean, a top-tier HR technology company that empowers organizations to build a better culture by connecting employees to meaningful, life-enriching benefits. Now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today we have Mary Jo Charbonnet with us. Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. Great to be here. Thanks for your patience as we just had to do the intro twice as I had a blooper on my first one. So thanks, Mary Jo. Hey, life is full of second chances. It is. And I'm a little, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm a, just to let you know and, and let the listeners know, I'm a little um, brain fog because I've, I just traveled back from Nigeria 24 hours ago. So I've, I did 29 hours of travel. So a little, little jet lag, but feeling good and feeling good that I get to do a podcast within... 48 hours. This will give me some energy. So thanks. Uh, thanks in advance for your patience. No, it's great to be here. And uh, all of us have been road warriors and can empathize. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Especially parents. That's right, which we just talked about. So, so Mary Jo, you know, Chief Human Resource Officer at Kindrel. That's a big company. Uh, you, you know, we, we've introduced you, but give us the history of Kindrel and the connection IBM. Yeah, so let me tell you about Kindrel. We're this small little startup that's got 90,000 employees and 90,000, yeah, 63 companies, 63 countries, uh, and 19 billion in revenue. Um, and we're just about to turn a year old. We spun off from being a division of IBM just a year ago, November 4th. Uh, and now are really sort of, you know, growing into the company we want to be. And it's not every day you get a chance to do everything for the first time. Um, and, you know, we are just a little background about, you know, what we do in addition to who we are is, you know, we're the lo largest IT services company in the world. Um, and when we spun, we doubled our addressable market size uh, in terms of the opportunity in front of us to create partnerships uh, with uh, some of our alliance partners like Microsoft, Google, Amazon. So it was really an inflection point, uh, and you are a connoisseur of culture, thus, thus this podcast, but a real chance for us as an organization to step back and say, what is it going to take to grow? 
what is it going to take to be a leading services company in the world? And what kind of culture? We know what we've come from, but what culture do we really want to now create? Um, and kind of really a wonderful experience to take an executive team and uh, all of our uh, managers and now employees on that cultural journey. Uh, and we're, you're never really done becoming. <laughs> you're never done becoming uh, a leader, uh, a, a better person, and, and working on your culture, I think. Uh, so I'm happy to share as we go forward what we've done in a year, but but we're a work in progress, uh, and so is our culture. Yeah, and culture's a work in progress. There is, you know, the neat thing about it is this isn't a two plus two equals four. This is a never-ending uh, journey, right? And and I love what you said about this look in the mirror um, and and a reflection of, look, let, let's not worry so much about where we came from, but let's talk about who we want to be. And so let's go back there. When the separation was happening, started to happen, happened, what was the big shift? What was the shift? And, and you know, I just want to be clear, is it, it's a different culture than IBM today? That's what we're trying to create. But, you know, culture takes time, especially... Yes. You know, IBM is a wonderful com company. It's 110 years old. So, uh, and, you know, our executive teams on average have 25 years of service. So that's a lot of time to spend in a certain wow. place uh, to then to try to create change. So let me set it in the context of, you know, becoming uh, our own future and what business change was ahead of us, right? Was, hey, we need to own the customer relationship. We sell, we came from a product oriented company. We're a services oriented company. And when you're a service oriented company, it's really based in how people behave with the customer. And you want that sense of what are we saying internally about behavior to resonate externally with the customer. And we knew we needed to change a couple of things. One, how we interact with ourselves, our customers, and our community. So taking culture even beyond the four walls or the PL, so to speak. Um, and then how we organize our work and ourselves needed to change. Um, and we did some survey work, by the way. Uh, we didn't just make this up in the corner office. We actually asked employees, we surveyed thousands of employees as we were spinning, what do you love? And as I like to say in a spin, this is my second one, you don't get to pack your suitcase, you only get to unpack it. <laughs> Mm. But we asked them, if you could pack that suitcase, what do you want to keep? What goes in there from the culture that you treasure, that you value, that you don't want changed? And what would you want to put on the change list? Uh, and so that was wonderful because it was very insightful about what employees valued, what they thought worked and what they didn't work, which went was the input into what we call the Kindrel way, which is sort of how we codified how we wanted people to behave, how we wanted to express the values um, that should guide our actions as we interact again with ourselves, with our customers. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning that being a pretty complex process and a, and a ton of data because of the size. So, right. It, it was, was there division? Did you look at me like, wow, some people love this and some people don't. What did you, what do you do? What did you do with that information? Um, Strong cultures have a way of being strong for a reason, right? Everyone kind of gets them, they know. Uh, and so we didn't find a lot of diversity of opinion about what to keep and change, what to be, uh, and getting agreement on that. That's where I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the process of how did we kind of codify uh, and, and build our, our Kindrel Way principles. Um, and, and we started with that survey data, uh, and then we sat down with the kind of senior most team and said, hey, 
what is it going to take to turn this business around, to drive growth, to really transform into a services-oriented culture? Here's what we heard. Well, now, what do you think? And, and we started to write the words down because words are important. Uh, and so we sort of went through this large editorial process. I joke, if you think there's a word that should be here, ask me because I probably know where it went in the editorial process. Uh, so we went from the small inner team to kind of our top 40 leaders and we engaged them. Um, and then we rolled it to all employees in a several day, what we called cultural exchange, where we sort of tested it. Uh, as hey, here's what we've built together with the, with the top team. What do you think? What resonates? And we did draft two. Sorry, Mary, uh, did, did, I just want to stop. Did you say we rolled to all, or you you, you started with a small section to see how it was going to land? We started with about the the top kind of C-suite teams, about twelve. Then we went to forty to do the wordsmithing. Got it. Uh, and and have them and give us real feedback. And we ripped up a whole draft, by the way, <laughs> several in that process. Um, but then we actually went out to all 90,000 Kindrels in a two-day, what we call cultural exchange, where we invite all 90,000 Kindrels to blog with us about what they think about it. Um, the good news is we largely got it right, so we didn't make too many edits on that, but we understood re resonated with people, and we could do the LinkedIn label from here's what you told us you wanted to keep, and here's how we brought it in, uh, and, and here's what we think are really important changes you told us about or customers told us about. Because remember, at the same time, we were branding a brand new company. So part of what we were doing was melding the research back from the marketplace on the brand and bringing that kind of outside in perspective to, you know, beginning to, to write it down, so to speak. And what, what was the biggest learning from when, I'm going to call it, when it hit the front lines, when it hit your 90,000 uh, plus or minus staff, what, 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 what did you learn that you didn't know? What was yeah. kind of the wow? Well, let me describe the Kindle way and then I can yeah. tell you what resonated. Um, so we were really committed to keep it pretty simple pretty crisp. Uh, so the Kindrel way goes like this. Uh, and I know you're, you're passionate about getting culture simple. Yes. <laughs> and you got to be able to say it over and over again. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things we did was then we said, okay, how we want people to act amongst ourselves with our customers and in our community is restless, empathetic, and devoted. That happens to spell red, which is our color. <laughs> restless. Restless. I'm interested in unpacking that. Yeah, empathetic and devoted. They're not the words you find on everybody's value you mm. know, statement. Uh, and then how we wanted to organize our work and ourselves was flat, fast, and focused. Um, and what I would say we learned is alliteration really helps. <laughs> Although you have to say the three Fs slowly, less as the head of HR, you say Fs that you shouldn't say. <laughs> uh, so no. Uh, so what we heard really resonated uh, with employees, and and what was, what 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 we still talk about. Um, so you know when you go to do culture work, Ron. So much of culture work is, you want people to recognize it, and at the same time, you want a little healthy aspirational tension, right? Right. You want everyone to say, that's not quite how we are now. And, and you need to be able to sanction that, right? To say like, yes, 
that's why it's aspirational okay mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the ones and and then you're in 63 countries so words like restless or empathetic or devoted are not the most easy to translate around the world so they they do we did have a lot of discussion about i think the one that employees gave us feedback on was restless yeah um, we really describe that as restless to continuously learn innovate and improve that's how I took it when you said it, but I was yeah. very curious because that's a, that's a that's an interesting word to use for that. I, I it keep, is. Sorry, keep it going. Is. Yeah. Um, and so, so people tell us, well, that means anxious. That means uncomfortable. Can't that sit means still. Can't sit still. And we're like, keep the can't sit still part, <laughs> but focus it with direction. Uh, so I, I think that's one that we we work on, um, and and that's partly about some of the culture change of not being willing to challenging the status quo, looking to the external marketplace for best practices, really focusing on what does the customer need and how do we innovate and learn and grow to better serve our customers. Um, flat, fast, and focused. So let's talk about those. Uh, those really resonated internally. There was no debate on those. So fast was to cultivate simplicity everywhere. We know our internal processes are super complicated from our legacy. Uh, so that was like when, when you asked employees originally what they wanted to change, being faster was the number one ask. Um, let's so Flat being very important there. Flat, we decided, was empower inclusive uh, teams. Uh, and so that was a, a tied to that because there's a lot of checking with every layer above. Is it okay? Is it okay? So those two kind of go hand in hand and then focused uh, on customer service was the other one. So I think what what. What still sometimes we we talk about is is restless, um, but what really resonated because it was the call of what employees want to change was flat, fast, and focused. So I'm curious. I, I understand restless now, but flat and fast. I feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, that that from a change management perspective, with people that have been around for 25 years, that there might be a disconnect in belief, and so I feel like that was the hardest thing to change. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's that's the one that I would say that, that we 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 self admit. Okay, that's more aspirational because <laughs> uh, employees wanted to keep. They had felt like the past had a great commitment to building skills and learning. They wanted us to keep on the restless side. Uh, but I would say, look, I know that flat and fast are are the ones that we still have work to do. Even a year later, we've made right, tangible right. progress on that. But no one thinks we we've done enough. No one is satisfied, and everyone continues to be restless. So it's funny. I, mean, look, I and I appreciate that. Thanks for for your honesty too, because that would be. I mean, when you're saying that, I was like, whoa, that's going to be a big uphill battle, like big internal debate. That's going to be that. And I really appreciate what you said. It's aspirational and and something to work towards. And and I think about my own business today, and I always think about the debate and discussion around centralization and decentralization. Um, and in a perfect world, most, most functions in my business today would be decentralized, but supported, guided, you know, accountability would, would be um, centrally provided for, so people would still have enough autonomy to, um, um, to make decisions in a de you know, in decentralized fashion. Is that kind of what's happening there? Is it kind of like, whoa, that's going to be at the head off as well that, you know, talk me through that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so listen, we're still learning, uh, from uh, ourselves and from others on this one. I won't say we found that we've gotten to, you know, even, even a state that I would say, 
most employees would, would say is dramatically improved. Um, but I think people recognize that we're working on it, that when we say we're committed to it, we can point to tangible examples. Um, and let me just give you a sense of sort of how we think about culture change, and then I'll go back to kind of putting what sure. you asked me in context. Um, we really think about culture change as to drive culture, right? Uh, and this is some of the work we did with a great company called Walk the Talk, uh, which is culture is the spoken and unspoken messages <laughs> that define what behavior is accepted and manifest in behavior, systems, and symbols. And if you're trying to change culture, you're trying to figure out how to change as much behavior, systems, right. and symbols as fast as possible and as consistently as possible. So on behavior, why did we write down the Kindrel way? It was really the effort around systematically saying, these are the behaviors we want to see. We know some of them are more aspirational than others. We launched them out to 800 executives in our first several, several months after we became a new company within 90 days. We spent that two-day executive meeting in three locations around the world simultaneously in two locations online. Wow. <laughs> and we spent a whole day of two days on culture. That was a big symbol that this was not going to just be a, a discussion with leaders around here's your targets, here's the new you know, service or product. It's going to be about how do we how are we behaving with one another so, um, so it sound, sounds like more collaborative for the change management side of things as well right exactly. versus leadership here's what we're doing right exactly and then um we ask leaders and we gave them a toolkit to cascade it and start the discussion with their team but we followed up with a systematic training of all of our people managers um so we'll train almost six thousand managers in our first year uh, in, in what we call the, the cultural summit workshops. Um, and then we've launched a whole series of internal podcasts and communications and materials to employees to supplement all that work going on. So one of the things you said is, hey, is there a sense of we weren't going to be serious about it? Oh, yes. <laughs> but I think we've been, we've tried to be very consistent and planful about making that message get down and then listening back up about it. So that's what I would say is the behavior side. Um, on the system side, there's a field of opportunity on that. Um, we changed the organizational structure at SPIN and took out whole layers. We changed delegations. Um, managers had People managers had lots of restrictions on what they could do with pay changes for employees. We said, hey, you own your budget. We removed all of the restrictions. Uh, about pay and hires as some of those things, because we were really trying to remove the systematic barriers. And every time you do that, you create a symbol. <laughs> right. Um, so those are some of the things we've been working on, as well as now working on, you know, it's interesting, it's been a real learning for me about how much culture gets deeply embedded in systems, particularly IT systems, big corporate enterprise wide systems. So one of the big transformational efforts we have going on right now is simplifying all of the core processes, whether it's the financial ones or the HR ones, to really strip out the complexity, the process steps, the approvals. Uh, and, and that will take us some time, but we know that, that I don't think until we do those things will we get a lot of credit for, no, you haven't changed this when I have to do this in the HR process, this in the procurement process, this in the financial processes, till we strip some of that complexity out. I, I, think, I think that will be the ultimate beginnings of the proof point on the culture change.
That makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I completely agree as most companies scale, you know, you add complexity and systems and process, more systems and policies and procedures, and then you have bottlenecks and then bureaucracy, and then you lose your nimbleness, and then people leave because you lost that kind of, and so, you know, the real question to your point is how do you simplify as you scale, right? How do you, how do you take a 10 step process and go down to seven? You know, and, but what a great opportunity to have, you know, it sounds like a great opportunity to have people at Kindrel you know, at different levels of the organization come together and, and, you know, collaborate around that and, and to tear that stuff down, put it back together, pilot, see if it works and then move. Is that kind of what you guys are doing? Yeah. I mean, we're doing probably it and with 90,000 Kindrels, we're probably doing something everywhere. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so I think what we've been trying to do again is really be thoughtful about you know what what is the behavioral message what is the system we can tackle what is the symbol we can make progress on um you know i think some other things uh we've been thinking about on that symbol side because those are really important you know who gets promoted as a symbol who gets the corner office as a symbol um you know what what who gets invited to certain meetings is also another big, big corporations have lots of meetings. And then, you know, always everyone's competing for the ticket <laughs> to right. go. Uh, so one of the things we did from the past, which were, were top meetings were very limited. We opened up the, uh, the first sort of big team meeting to all 800 executives. And we knew the logistical challenges doing that globally in a pandemic would create. Uh, but we wanted to really send, again, another symbol reinforcing flat, that this was right. be different. Um, another one that we've done on talking about a lot of the transformation to come, we've created what we call X-Power and M-Power. So we get all, all 800 executives together once a month in an X-Power, and we say, here's what we're doing. And we integrate the projects amongst uh, us and talk about them with a consistent voice in a consistent format. So it's just a real difference for the people who've received a lot of competing messages and, and have a chance to come together and hear it all at once. We do another one called Empower, which is for our 6,700 people managers, where we get them together once a month and we talk about here are some of the core changes, here's what you need to know, here's how it impacts your team. And sometimes we have some real kind of operational and tactical, we need you to do this now as, as we change things. Um, so we've tried to get really simple about even how we do the change. Sorry, Mary Jo, I didn't understand the X power. Can you yeah, X power is what we call when we get uh, our uh, entire 800 executive population together. We call it an X power meeting. <laughs> And why, why the name of X and Empower? I'm just curious. I, I was just to, I think, reinforce that we're our, our real goal as leaders is to give our leaders and our people managers the tools to drive change. Got it. Um, and that they're empowered from those sessions to- it's like this X factor. Yeah, it's like- <laughs> Got it. And so, so this was a real transformation, correct? Yeah, an ongoing one. Right. It sounds like you're in the middle of it, actually. Right. And, or some stage of it, because um, it's 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 and it's, you know, I think when I think of culture, it always changes, as we discussed earlier. But this is a transformation. And so has there been an exodus of people? Typically, a transformation says, look, I'm not I, I'm not interested in the new way that this company's going. I, I, I don't agree. I like the way it was. Has that happened? Because I've seen that happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens in any big kind of spin-off happens. You know, you, you went to work for one brand, you're now working for another. What I would say is our turnover 
Um, you know, IBM's a fabulous company, people loved working there. Uh, so we've seen our turnover tick up, but sort of at industry, you know, level yep. norms. Um, and, and in proportion to the great resignation, nothing to be overly concerned about. So I think we've done a great job hanging on to the talent uh, that we've had and, and keeping everybody enthusiastic that everybody gets in a spin and in a startup, everyone gets a chance to be part of shaping the future. No, I love that. Remember the days when company culture was defined by how many foosball tables and weekly happy hours there were? Today, employees expect more. That's why Empyrean empowers organizations to build a better culture by connecting employees to meaningful, life-enriching benefits. Benefits that allow your employees to be their best selves, both in and outside the workplace. Is your benefits function positively impacting company culture? Take Empyrean's online benefits maturity assessment to see how you measure up and where you can take a more strategic approach. A better workplace culture starts with benefits. So visit goempyrean.com to take the assessment and start building a better culture through benefits that actually matter. Empyrean, where real benefits live. I'm envisioning that when you go through a transformation, when, you, when you've upgraded and transformed um, some of the culture and are on this journey, that you'd have to move quickly to change some now new hiring practice based on the company you want to be in the future. What has changed in the hiring? What did hiring look like before? And what did hiring look like after or the, the variances or differences? Yeah, I, I, I would say less so the hiring that we've changed so far, although it's a good question and, and I'll be working more on that as we go. You know, one of the things we changed right away was we did uh, an employee survey to kind of set the baseline on the culture so that we could measure it. Right. Uh, and, and really worked uh, with one of our partners externally on, hey, if we want to measure restless, how do you do that? If we want to measure empathetic, how do you do that? And not only importantly, how do you do it, but how do you do it in a way where you can compare yourself to others? Uh, so that was probably the first big change that people felt was that we said, look, we're, we're so committed to this. Pretty much three weeks after spin, we launched our first employee survey and said, we're going to set the baseline of how you all feel about this. Um, and now a year later, the results are rolling in. Uh, we've done it again. And so we've built kind of culture right into that survey, right up against restless, empathetic, devoted, flat, fast and focused. So that every people manager who has more than five employees respond to the survey gets a report where they can see their own, if they are, if they're a manager of managers, they can see the whole organization, but every manager can see how their team, their direct reports responded on that. Because part of what we're saying is there's no more important role in shaping the culture than the people manager. Right. And is that, does that have to do with this empathetic leader story? I know we talked, touched on it before we started today. Tell me about that. One of the things we heard, and this happens in big cult, in big companies, is it feels like you work in a big machine. Of course. That doesn't necessarily care about you as a person anymore. Um, and I think post-pandemic, what we learned really was the, during the pandemic and then afterwards, the power of empathy, of leaders getting their teams through an incredibly difficult global situation. And I think we didn't want to lose that uh, as we spun. And you know, customers were saying, look, you tend to be by the book, by the contract. You're not hearing me. You're not listening. And you're always selling to a person. 
uh, and and providing services to people in a in a services business. So this concept of empathy was one of the sort of pivot points from the fast. Um, and, and I would say is one that often, you know, we now have a really thoughtful discussion uh, with the executive team about, hey, is that the way if we're really going to say empathetic uh, is the value on the T-shirt, so to speak? It's a hard one to live up to. Right. Uh, <laughs> it really is. Uh, especially when the pressures come, uh, the demands come to, to make sure we're working on that. So when we launched uh, the whole first round of, of the Kindrel Way to Leaders, uh, we actually supported them with a whole toolkit that said, here are things if you want to get better at this or you think you and your team want to focus on. Here's a set of toolkits for three minutes, three hours, three weeks. Again, keeping that concept of same things that are really simple for leaders to just go in and, okay, I got three minutes. <laughs> I can spare three minutes to be a more empathetic leader. Right. Uh, and that they could, they could have some really easy to use, easy to apply learning materials. Let's fast forward now to a year later as we do the survey, right? Now we're giving everybody feedback down to a very personal level, essentially, you know, building it in almost as, as a kind of 180, not quite 360 feedback, but building, taking that culture right down and making it personal. Because if you're going to have a, have a value like empathetic, uh, that's important. So we built into our employee survey something we call the empathetic index, uh, which is a, which are really interesting and questions that are like, I trust my manager. Right. I feel like I, can, I, I belong at Kindrel. Um, I feel like I'm respected. These are the things that sort of make up the fundamentals of empathy. Uh, and so each leader will get a, a kind of self-report card on that. Mm, that's So that's your version of 360. And, yeah. and sorry, did that say that, did you say that's already been out or wait, is it going out now? We're, we're there, the, the, we closed the survey, the team's working on getting the launch ready. We'll do that next week, uh, time with our anniversary. So let me ask you this, um, the company's, it sounds like it's got, great growth. Um, obviously it's, it, you know, the, 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 there has to be a balance of culture transformation and getting business done. And this has to be internal debate, I'm sure, because of course, one of your values is focus. And so you could debate, well, look, we need to be focused on business. We're focused too much on this culture thing. You know, tell me about that. How do you balance culture transformation with getting business done? And, and that's gotta be tough. I'm sure that's a debate I'm going to have ahead of me. Right. <laughs> uh, right now, people really feel like the culture change is fundamental to the business change. The business change can't happen unless we change the culture. I think they're so right. I don't get the pushback. It may come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but right now, I would say people really see it as we really about how we interact with the customer and that that really needed to change. So it's it's very much an outside in look. Um, and I think also there's a sense that if we, we really needed to stop and spend more time on the internal and employee issues. Um, so that right now feels when we do it, it feels like we're, we're living the Kindle way. We're putting the proof point on what we said we were gonna do. Um, you know, sort of that say, do uh, equation in culture. So right now, I would say, uh, maybe ask me next anniversary. 
of course, you'd be like, it's, it's been a tough month. <laughs> we have paused because our customers need us. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, on that point, you know, we're, we hear customers telling us we're showing up differently. Oh, we're listening. So it really becomes self-reinforcing when you get that type of feedback coming back from customers. You know, I, I always go back to this. I tell the story quite a bit, but the biggest shift when I had the private security company, the biggest shift that was a cultural shift and gave value to the customer was this decision-making process, right? Which, which we told everybody, look, we, we ripped up our policy book for the most part. We still had to follow our customers' policies, but for internally, we ripped it up. Had a lot of systems and processes, but we just said, look, if you are faced with a decision and you haven't been trained in this, you know, you, you, you've not been, it's not part of your training, not part of your day-to-day -day job, and you need to make a decision, ask yourself three questions. Is what you're about to do the right thing for the customer? Is it the right thing for our business based on our purpose and values? And are you willing to be accountable? If it's yes, 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 move, don't ask anybody. That was, you know, the, the subtitle in the book was um, giving the incredible story of giving employees their brains back. And it was that shift in business that simplified throughout a policy book and allowed uh, for decision-making, uh, which also, it, it sounds like something similar to what you talked about where the customers are saying, hey, you're, they're showing up differently. Right, right. Uh, and that was part of driving those, you know, sort of like releasing the approval levels in the organization. So right. doing something different because, you know, how decisions get made is a big system to tackle. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and it's really important to tackle those types of decision-making systems, especially in, in large organizations. So I'm curious about this. I had uh, one of our last episodes, we had a senior executive with Uber on the show and they look at so much data. You know, they, they, they analyze things. I, I was very impressed actually. Um, um, and one of the things that they said is they looked at some data that, said, I believe that any, in general, group meetings that had more than eight people for over a half hour, um, they just lost a lot of steam. They're, they're, they didn't have the inputs and the outcomes that they were hoping. And I thought that was interesting. But more broadly, and, I, and, and maybe I should have asked this question in that episode, but I'd like to ask you, have you seen any trends? And when I'm asking that, I'm, I'm wondering if you've seen any trends on employee behavior in one of the, you said 66 countries? 63. Yeah. Oh, I was three off in, in, in the 63 countries. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. Have you seen any trends with like, wow, based on how the pandemic went in that area and lockdowns or not there, these, this, this group is more stressed. It's flourishing. I don't know. Have you seen any trends as you have this broader uh, look than a company like I would, what, what yeah. trends? Yeah. I, I would say, um, Look, in a place that is as diverse globally as Kindrel is, you're always going to have um, a different, some often a different experience, especially when you're new. <laughs> Maybe when we turn uh, on our on our tenth or our twentieth year anniversary or our hundredth, you know, the culture gets more homogenized. But it's certainly not not that way today. Um, and so, what do we see when we look across the patterns? Um, is we certainly have influenced by, you know, cultural norms. Uh, certain parts of the world are, are generally uh, happier, more engaged, show up differently in surveys. So we see the typical patterns um, right. you would see on that. You can also overlay that with where, where are the P&Ls more challenged? You, you can mm. see some of the, the business stress 
manifest in, ah. in that. Um, what's interesting is you also see those places where it's offset by uh, potentially the value out of leadership. So not every P&L that is as stressed uh, shows the same markers. Um, I think what we what we see is, you know, we also look at um, our exit survey data. We ask people about the culture when they leave. We tend to see a consistency, um, which helps reinforce it. So people want, uh, you know, more career opportunity. They tell us that in the survey, you know, so I, I think we see that. Um, we've probably taken maybe a different approach on the post-pandemic workforce than others, uh, oh, tell us. kind of in your question. Um, look, with 90,000 kindreds in 63 uh, countries, and a lot of, and a fair amount of kindreds who work on a customer site or did pre the pandemic, uh, you know, a one size fits all really didn't work for us. Um, and so we decided as one of our symbols coming out of uh, and, and our first chance of Kindrel, we really said, look, here's here's how we would encourage leaders to think about where where and how people work. Some jobs are can be done fully remotely, others can't. You may have a customer that tolerates that. <laughs> you may not. Uh, and so look, use your judgment to your point of give managers the the, the brain back to quote you, we pay yeah. them for, we would say plug it, you know, definitely use it. And, and here's some guardrails and then make the decision. It's really a decentralized process. Um, I think anytime in today's day and age, we try to say people have to be back in two days or three days a week. It's, it's, it feels arbitrary, partly just is arbitrary. And so everyone objects to that. Uh, and so we really tried to, one of the first things we did is, okay, talk to your manager, you and your manager should sit down and do what works for you in that team. You know, it's interesting because I, I agree with your point, but the, the other counterpoint that I, that I haven't heard of, but I just made an assumption on is when you see, you know, large corporations that say three days a week, get your butts back to the office, this command and control narrative to come back. Um, Cause we've seen that happen globally. Now we have seen that. And I guess what I, I try to put myself in their shoes, which I'm not. And I thought, you know, it's different. You know, I'm, I'm, I have this progressive um, I'll call it progressive unorthodox culture. We, we didn't, you didn't have to come to the office before the pandemic. Now, certainly people were coming less. And so we doubled down on how do we build relationships? That's where we'll focus our time. But back to that, the, um, the companies that did, you know, to kind of drop the hammer, I thought, you know, if I was a bank or CEO of a bank and we had thousands and thousands of employees like you do, um, I wondered if I would be more aggressive because I think there's, there could be something bigger at stake, like the economy, like the little coffee shop and the lunch place that's going to business. And I thought, you know, for the good of the world, I might have to do that. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Well, I heard a, a pundit say once, you know, the research shows that employees, that, that, that leaders and organizations have to earn the commute. Uh, uh, and, and I thought that's so interesting. Um, and I know it's a little provocative, but I think that that's true. So what I'd rather spend time time is not when do you have to be back? Why do you want to come back? Right. Um, and I think there are four C's that are really important. Uh, one, culture does get transmitted in nonverbal ways, right? Unspoken messages, those are largely about nonverbal. So it is powerful. And, and we saw that as people headed back, like, well, it's just so good to be back together, right? Um, that connection that creates creativity, right? When we're back all together. 
Um, coaching, we also heard all through the pandemic, it's hard to give feedback online. <laughs> I, I'm more comfortable doing it. So that sense of coaching, and we heard it from, from new hires who started it all virtually. It was hard to get to know the place when I was never in an office. Um, and then lastly, just a sense of community and connection. You know, these are kind of another important see, you know, the holiday event, the, the celebration in an office when the team achieves things. So I think we all have to talk about if we're coming back in, why are we coming back in? And that has to be meaningful. Look, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, our, um, the two messages, and I agree, I, I wrote down coaching connect because the one thing that I'm sure of is that people have new habits now. They have new habits. So, so I would add like, even though they connect together, but the other C I would add would be change. And what's in it for them? You know, what, why, why am I coming back to the office? Because I, it, back to this, you know, this banking example or whatever, the narrative is still wrong. It still was, I, Ron Lovett, think you should come back because collaboration is key for this company. I don't give a damn. That's not, you know, that's the, what's in it for me. And I, and I think when I think of the two things that you just talked about, I'll, I'll pick on these two, but connection without human connection, there's burnout. And I might not understand why I'm feeling burnt out, but if someone was to help me to understand the why, to your point, I think that would be helpful. Uh, the second is coaching. I think it's very, uh, I think it's, I think it's obvious that those who um, don't come to the office ever may not uh, advance as fast as their peers because they will lose the opportunity to build their EQ, to, to build their own leadership skills, to be coached. And I just don't know if we're sharing those messages enough to get people to change on their own accord. Yeah. And we'll see, we'll have lots of data in the future. We've probably all as organizations doubled down on our tracking of who works where. Uh, right. And so I think we'll be able to test those theories about, is it really true if you work fully remote? Uh, you didn't you didn't rise as fast. I don't know. I haven't seen the data. Uh, and so we'll see uh, how that goes. I think, you know, one of the things that we also worked on, you asked me about, hey, what patterns have you seen? Um, I think it's also important to go looking for best practice across the globe. Um, and, and part of our role as leaders is to share what's working. Uh, and so I'll tell you a story from your neck of the woods. Our Canadian uh, Kindrel team came up with the balance pledge. Uh, and what they were hearing for employees that they wanted to change more locally was it had been a work, 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 never take a break culture. Uh, so in that balance pledge, they said things like, we're going to add extra holidays and created, I think, like six long weekends in their calendar. Wow. Uh, and, you know, in Canada, that's important, especially in the summertime to get yes, an extra long weekend important. in. But no emails on the weekend. So the leaders don't send emails. They were going to, if you take, uh, a vacation day, you are empowered to find a delegate to send to other critical meetings, and we will respect your empowered delegate. Um, and so things like that have really resonated um, and created, you know, we've gotten a lot of traction in the Canadian marketplace on that, not only with our own employees, but with uh, customers and prospective uh, employees. It's a great best practice of how, uh, you know, a country took the kinder away and then sort of made it fit them and said, hey, this is how we're going to bring about restless and empathetic and devoted. We're going to commit to the balance pledge. Well, God love those smart little Canadians. Look at them. <laughs> and, and, you know, but, but actually what I would say is um, great for you to let a country have the autonomy to kind of figure it out because that is, you know, when I think of decentralization, 
there's so many different layers of that for a company like yours. Mm-hmm. You're decentralizing, you know, that the the decision making um, and process building of a country. That's very unique because you will get innovative ideas and see the results of those and say, wow, that's that's a best practice now. Let's let's try that somewhere else. So good good for you. That's that's great to have that type of flexibility and nimbleness as a massive company. Yeah, we're we're working on it. I wouldn't say it's perfect. And I think, you know, not that we talk about the words decentralized or centralized, but mm-hmm. how do we get it close to the customer? Yeah, got it. Uh, and, and sometimes that might mean a more centralized approach. Uh, and sometimes it might mean a more decentralized approach. But where's the value for the customer? And and that that sort of forms the axis of, you know, and a lot of our delegation authorities we've given out to our account teams uh, because they're closest to the customer in right. terms of uh, where where should decision making lie, and I think that's what you were learning in your company as well was you know em- empowering the people who were providing security services right in the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, closest to the customer. I, I agree, Mary Jo. What else? Anything else we haven't discussed today that is top of mind that you're thinking about that you're up at night sweating profusely about trying to figure out? Oh, you know. Uh, I think we've got a great deal of work to do on our transformation, uh, particularly in our HR human capital systems. uh, And we're leading a multi-year effort called Powering Human Progress. uh, And it's sort of a derivative of that restless behavior um, to really kind of have employees really be able to tell us their skills, their hopes and desires for the future. Um, You know, when we think about our business, what are our employees, what what are our customers really paying for is the skills and the services we provide. Um, and so how do we support our employees to gain skills um, and, and to know their skills that they might have had from another job, you know, another place, um, you know, uh, there are people who, who maybe coded in, in some other job and don't code now and you want to know those things. So uh, I think that's what keeps me up at night is how do we how do we keep the next round of employee uh, enthusiasm going and learning uh, as what we do is really providing, you know, skilled services to our customers. I love that. Well, Mary Jo, thanks for, uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge and being very open and transparent about some of the challenges you guys are facing. That, that makes it real. And so uh, I really appreciate that. Well, it's been my pleasure, Ron. Uh, and thanks for having me on. For more information about Mary Jo, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass, please go to scalingculture.org. And to learn more about our sponsor of this episode, Empyrean, please go to goempyrean.com. That's G-O-E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N.com. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.